Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rash Pixel FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm right here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Pete Wright. Hello, everyone. Welcome. How are, how are you? Feeling good? You feeling strong? I am. Kung Fu? Kung strong? Fu. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. With a fist. With a fist. Mm-hmm. With another fist. Way the dragon. There's a, a lot of the way of the mongoose. Mm-hmm. Twist, way of the squirrel. Turn, yeah. Way of the squirrel. <laughs> Speaking of squirrels, we have merch. You got to check out the new Squirrel, 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 Squirrel podcast uh, shirt in our T Public store, uh, which is out. And I, I haven't even said anything about it. And people have found it and are purchasing the Squirrel, 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 Squirrel podcast, uh, supporting this show, which I That's think fantastic. is a hoot. They're pretty cute. <laughs> it's really adorable. Good job on that. Uh, so that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's super, super fun. And uh, I put up some other stuff in there. You can get stickers, you can get mugs, whatever you want. Uh, it's over on Public. Uh, we we have a very special guest. Uh, Caroline McGuire is back today. Her book is really and truly out. And we are very excited to talk to her about it and so much more. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list. And we will, of course, send you a note. Just a wee note, a missive, every time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And if this show has ever touched you, we invite you to uh, consider making smart financial decisions and then supporting us by joining the ADHD community over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. For a few bucks, you could be watching us on YouTube on a very hidden members-only link watching the live recording of this podcast, which generally we do something to... Okay, I do something stupid that lives on in history that is edited out of the other rest of the the live podcast. You never hear that if you aren't a part of the members of the community. It's not only you, Pete. I edited a lot on the show. (laughs) So So if if you're the kind of person who's interested in the uh, the BTS, the the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, then it, you need to, to consider at least joining the ADHD podcast community at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. To all those who are currently members, we thank you for your support. To all those who are still considering it, what are you waiting for? Check it out. Patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. We appreciate your support. ADHD coach Caroline McGuire is back. Coach, author, teacher, and speaker with a special focus on social skills supporting kids and parents of kids with ADHD. Her book is out 
Now, huzzah, <laughs> why no one will play with me. The Play Better plan to help children of all ages make friends and thrive. And we're thrilled that she's back to talk to us today about social success. Caroline, where have you been all my life? I have been all over America. <laughs> I have been everywhere. <laughs> That's so exciting. Look at you. You're, you're a globetrotter. I have seen airports that I never thought that I would see. Um, I now am like expert at, you know, packing only one bag. I do not check my bag now. My consultant husband is so happy with me. Um, <laughs> I did see Nikki at the international conference. Um, I looked at her mm-hmm. from across the room while I had the giggles and one of the speakers was telling me uh. that I was too, um, happy or something. Um, he was very wait funny. a minute. No, <laughs> that's not a thing you do as a speaker. No, he was. Why did And he was he a was funny, funny speaker. And too. I was he, laughing. He, he was, was like typed yeah. down over there, but he's actually a friend of mine. But, um, no, okay. I, um, I've been everywhere. I've been all over America. Well, yeah. it is very exciting. We've had the last time we had John, I don't know, it was several months ago, and it was the book was pending release. And I don't I don't know that we had the final date. And now it's out. And it's very exciting. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so much. It is great. It is. Um, it's really actually it's pretty wonderful to be able to share this with so many um, families. And um, I have really, you know, I, I give speeches and people like sob in the audience and the <laughs> The venue is like, what's mm-hmm. happening? And I said, people are really, you know, this is a big issue for people, for their kids, for their teens, for their 25-year-old yeah. who's still at home. And so um, it's 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 really powerful. And um, I'm enjoying, you know, sharing this with everyone. Well, it's, a, it's such a different uh, take on things, too, because a lot of times when you get an ADHD book, you know, for parenting or for children with ADHD, it's, a, it's sort of like an accommodations or diagnosis or academic point of view, but you don't always see the social piece of it. So it is definitely uh, uh, something that we're not talking a lot about. So your your book is bringing that into people's attention, which I think is great. And we know we're right. struggling, right? Well, while no one play with me is unique because um, you know, first it's it's everybody. It's not just ADHD folks. It's diagnosed, undiagnosed, anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also unique because it is completely prescriptive. It's a yellow brick road. It's not me telling you what the problem is, which as a mom, that drives me nuts. Like if I get a babysitter and I go hear a speaker, please don't tell me that like my child is a lefty and they need, you know, OT. Like, okay, I knew that already. <laughs> like I'm living with yes, her serial killer yes. handwriting. Tell me what to do. So, um, uh, so yeah, no, it is unique and it's not something we talk about enough, I think. I think the I think the outpouring mm-hmm. is because while no one plays with me satisfies a need because people do not talk about the social aspect. They talk about the academics. So for the people that didn't listen to the show before where you talked about the book, can you do just a quick review of what what it is about? I mean, I know we're saying social, but let's just go into a little bit yeah, more Yeah, no, absolutely. So Why Will No One Play With Me is um, a guide and it helps parents learn to use the coaching technique of open-ended questions and reflective listening and to have conversations with your child about social skills. It also is um, a prescriptive book. So it is a yellow brick road of how do you introduce this topic? 
How do you teach a child new social skills? How do you know what social skills to focus on, what to let go, what to talk about? And it's full of like scripts. So, you know, mm-hmm. I gave a speech Saturday and, you know, every time I give a speech, somebody raises their hand and says, you know, well, what if I notice things my kid or teen is doing and I need to tell them like, hey, you don't have great self-awareness, but I notice, you know, that you nag people until they literally physically withdraw from you. And so I have scripts of how to bring that up in a coaching session or a conversation as a parent, but not crush their soul, right? So how do you bring that Mm -hmm. up? What do you let go? How do you do it in a way that allows the child to talk about it and not, you know, causes World War III? That's what Wild Known Play With Me is. It's it's really um, this roadmap, this playbook for parents to let them teach the social skills because we're there day in, day out. Well, and I just have to say, I had some time to, to read it or read through it and, and look at some of the exercises, and some of the coaching things that you do there with the questions. And you do, you give the language to the parents, which is just so good. Uh, because we don't know what the language is without, you know, hurting their soul. Sometimes we say things we regret, right? So it, <laughs> this was, it really is, it's a, it's a fantastic book. And I'm, um, thrilled that you're here again. So, We are going to talk about a very specific topic. We're going to talk about the seven things that everyone needs to do to be socially successful. So tell us what these seven things are and then, and then how they apply. I did a bunch (laughs) of research and my own anecdotal experience of like, what do you pay attention to? What are the things we all need? So let me just frame this up for two seconds, which is that. Um, mm-hmm. 70% of people don't succeed in the workplace because they don't fit into the culture. And we always hear, you know, it's not, it's the fit, right? And the fit is really mm-hmm. social skills. It's what we don't say. But if you look at what people define fit as, it's your communication. It's your ability to do these seven things. So I came up with these seven things also because parents and adults are always saying to me, like, well, what do I have to have? What do I have to focus on? What matters? And so I wanted people to sort of have, at the end of the day, here's the seven things you need to be able to do. So that's just like my framing of the of the context. So it is manage your emotions rather than them manage you. It is to read the room. It is to meet people halfway. It is to read social cues and unspoken rules and sort of be able to figure out people's facial expressions, body language. It is to also um, learn to walk in someone else's shoes, take perspective. It is to also um, be adaptive, which I resemble this remark. That's not always easy (laughs) for us. Yeah. Um, And it is also to know your audience. So who are you talking to? Why do you need to adapt to them? Um, And I can go into more about this, but just, you know, you're adapting your communication style to who you're talking to. You know that, I mean, yeah, I all nailed it in, I guess, seven. Um, I I do, I'm so much of the uh, sort of the, the tone of all of these at least as I apply it to myself, nails this sort of natural social belligerence that I have to constantly be on guard for, where uh, especially this sort of meet me halfway, meet people halfway bit, where it's if I'm left with, to my, you know, at my 
my natural instincts, I, I know that I'm, I am going to come off as naturally socially selfish. And, and that's, that's a thing that I'm constantly having, having to say in my head is, you know, when you say you read the room, I mean, that's, that's language that's in my internal script constantly. Uh, How would you like to approach these? uh, You know, I, I, if you want to go through them point by point, or maybe give some examples of, of how to reprogram that script so that you can actually accomplish you know, these things. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these things go back to self-regulation and emotional regulation. And so there's a lot of these things just to, to validate you, Pete, that we all struggle with. And we all struggle mm-hmm. with too, depending on our level of fatigue, our level of excitement, our level of anger, you know, like all of the emotional piece, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I do want to say, and then I'll definitely go into them piece by piece or whatever you guys want is, you know, for 80 years, there's some people who don't know what to do. And then there's some people who just can't do what they know. And so there's also this sort of, I, I always feel like there's this like self-regulation hangover where sometimes we just don't have the ability to present as we want to. and although we might nail all seven of these on another day, on that particular day, these seven things don't happen and it all goes back to emotional and self-regulation. So, you know, part of this is to know those underlying issues are driving it for you or not. But I mean, that's partly, Pete, what I hear you saying about the script. Yeah, you just said something that I want to highlight. And in fact, I literally highlighted it in my notes here uh, that with ADHDers, there's this difference between uh, how sometimes we don't know what to do versus we can't do what we do know how to do, right? That we, we don't know what to do in a social situation versus not being able to rightfully equip the tools that we know are there. We just can't actually access them. How do you approach that, uh, the sort of nuance between those two things in your coaching? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important distinction. And I don't think we as a community talk about it enough. I think that there's a lot of literature and articles out there where people just assume it's the, I, I can't do what I know. And I don't think that's true. First off, we know there's a huge overlap with ADHD and autism. More and more research is emerging all executive function makes complete sense. The second Mm -hmm. thing is a lot of people come up to me, write me emails, write me letters, and they're like, I don't know how to read the room. It is not like I don't want to. I just don't know. So it all goes back to the management system of the brain executive function. And I think um, my distinction is to is first of all, I have questionnaires in the book that help you make this distinction. You don't need me. But Mm -hmm. I I think what's really important is when you're talking to a child or a teen, how good is their self-awareness? How able are they at any given point to read the room and access that? If it's self-regulation, it tends to be that they can and afterwards they even know what they did. But if if it's a lack of self-awareness, Everything for them feels like it's out of the blue. This person's mad at me. I don't have any idea why. I just want to clarify, because if I was to ask my daughter if she could read the room, I don't know if she would know what I meant by that. 
Right. That's a really good example. So to read the room is to scan a situation and figure out who is there, what um, are the expectations of that environment, you know, what body language, social cues, mood, context is telling you what's going on, and then adapting your behavior to mirror the people around you. And so when I talk about adapting and realizing how people are feeling, even little, little kids can know that, you know, they know that if somebody is really sad, you, you adapt. Um, but yeah, I mean, little mm-hmm. kids, a lot of times they don't know all this language. And so you use visuals or you, um, you teach them. I mean, one of the things I do is I take them to a box store, to a food court, and I show them what it looks like to read the room. And then they have an image and then they can say, oh, okay, yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> Well, I, my first, my first thought comes to like going into a yeah. library, right? Like you're going into a library and you need to read the room that people are quiet. They're studying. They're on computers. They're looking at books. So you're not going to come into that room, you know, talking loudly with your friend or so it, I mean, I can see giving those kind of examples too to just where are you? What's the environment? What's a classroom environment? What's a assembly environment or environment when you go into an assembly? Uh, yeah, interesting. And okay. most kids who can read okay. the room, even if self-regulation gets in their way some of the time, they can tell you things about teachers. They can tell you things about people. They can say to you, you know, my teacher last year was really casual. This year's teacher is not, she's, you know, really mm-hmm. anal or whatever. But when a kid can't read the room, it's it's like they just they don't have that self-awareness and they don't have the awareness of what's going on. And a lot of times they'll tell you that nothing happened. You know, nothing happened that they mm-hmm. should have been paying attention to. And so, yeah, I think it is important. The, the language is important. And I give sometimes in, in, in different um, situations where I'm explaining something in Why Will No One Play With Me, I'll give like different ways you could explain it. But it is something where there is that distinction. Some people can read the room and then other people can, but you know, they, they just they don't have the self-regulation to do it. And, and this is different uh, mm-hmm. than just that sort of casual teenness, right? Like I'm, I'm in this process of having teens and having teens with ADHD. And I notice with my daughter who, uh, you know, has been living with it longer and has a greater set of accommodations that when I say what happened today, I'll be able to probe further after the nothing and I'll get something, right? right? I'll get something that she's, she's aware of and she has some skills to do that. And with my son, who is not quite there yet, I can't get past the nothing. It's like, actually, he didn't store anything in there because he's not calling on any any sort of accommodations that he's getting through or the meds didn't work or he forgot to take it in the morning or something like that. And I I imagine that is also, you know, for me, living with kids with ADHD is different from, uh, you know, kids without ADHD who are also just teenagers. Right. Yeah. And I think here's another thing that comes into play. When people don't read the room, my experience is that they're not great noticers. So, um, they don't pick up on not only the social cues, but the context, the environment, the mood. And so one of the things that comes up could be it's, it's memory. It could be, you know, it's attention. It could be all those things. But it also could be that a lot of times when people don't read the room well, teenagers, little kids, doesn't matter, adults, they don't notice stuff. 
So a lot of the mm-hmm. exercises in Why Will No One Play With Me are geared to turn you into a better noticer, to, to have you aware that there's context, there's mood, there's stuff going on in every social situation, every box store you enter, every library you enter, and that you need to pay attention to that. And it's almost like um, it's almost like one of those billboards you pass on the highway and you've never really read it. And then all of a sudden one day and you're in traffic and you like actually are paused in front of it and you're like, oh, that's what this says. You know, I think mm-hmm. when people mm-hmm. don't notice, they have never noticed that billboard, even though it's right there. How do you start with that? If you can you give us an example? Like what are what are some of the the probes that you use to help people become better noticers? Well, one of the biggest things I do is that I have them become social spies. So I I little kids, big kids, adults, I have them learn mm-hmm. this thing I call social spy where they go out into the world with a specific mission of things to notice. And you can use social spy. We practice and we rehearse so you notice without people noticing that you're noticing. So that we practice and we rehearse so that you can not get caught and nobody knows as a teenager you're watching. But you can use it from everything from what other kids talking about that you, you know, maybe want to tune into or even I have them go to a box store and I want you to notice all the exits. I want you to notice who's in charge but they, they're not wearing a uniform or a manager badge. They're in charge, but it, you can tell they're in charge based on you know their bossy behavior. Like I have them go out and actually collect data and I ask them to make observations and I, it's all scripted out so that they can start to watch and notice all this information. I have them go spy on two members of the family. What does mom and dad do with their body and their voice? And what do they say when they're getting frustrated? Um, and then it's hysterical because mm-hmm. they come back with stuff that their parents are like, oh, God. But it's... it's oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, right. I was just going to say <laughs> I was like... spied on. Yeah. Do they ever come back and we're like, well, uh, Coach Caroline, I learned that Uncle Bob is embezzling money oh from God, work. I, and it's I, all I in Switzerland. half of the country. Right. I know so many things. <laughs> um, yeah. No, they come back with hysterical stuff. They come back with stories, especially the ADHD kids, that you could not make up um, and all Mm -hmm. kinds of information. I imagine that's a great gift. Like the idea of, you know, what uh, what a sort of neurotypical would notice after having just sort of that unconscious subconscious practice at this, giving an ADHD or the the assignment of this sort of social scavenger hunt, the social spy, you're going to get some very unique feedback. You like the no. things that they notice, I imagine, are very different. You are. And sometimes I've had to say, I know that you found your brother's piggy bank or whatever, but I need you to promise like today you're going to put it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's right. Don't take the stuff. Just notice the stuff. Right. We do, this isn't a collection. <laughs> exactly. I have a question about the emotional regulation because I know you know, we talk about manage. So manage the emotions rather than let them manage you. So we know that that's a very difficult thing. Uh, we just had Dr. Dotson on our show a few weeks ago talking about uh, rejection um, sensitivity. So what would be your process in working with a child a- around that, around managing their emotions? Is it noticing again? I mean. Well, 
I'm thinking. Yes, it is. So part of it is that they, so, and we're not talking about not having emotion, right? We're talking about a few things. We're talking about having an awareness of how big does this feel for me versus how big it really is, right? So how worried should I really be is one of the exercises and why will no one play with me? And it works for everybody of all ages. But if you can imagine with us, you know, one of the things is that that worry feels gigantic. It is a huge distraction. It is all consuming to me. But like perspective wise, it is not a big deal, right? And so mm-hmm. part of it is them learning to to process that emotion, to name it. So noticing is kind of part of it. To name it, be aware that it's affecting your behavior and then to process and manage it and you know calm yourself down or realize the rumination is consuming you and and manage it but also some of it is that perspective because a lot of kids with ADHD and teens they feel like the worry feels huge and then they want all of us to react in concert and i know my own daughter does this mm-hmm. where she has a missing shirt right now, which I really wish I could find because I'm so done with looking for this shirt. And when she talks about it, she talks about it like it is, you know, famine. It's Syria. And I'm like, right, mm, mm-hmm. right. It's a missing t shirt, you know? But to her, mm-hmm. it must feel huge and it affects her behavior because every morning when she goes to get dressed, it's like this hideous experience for all of us. So that's part of it, like, right? Because then if they can name it and they can tame it and they can process it and they can also know when they're going into fight, flight and freeze or when they're losing self-regulation, it's so much easier to help them because they're aware versus when they think like, you should be just as worried about this as I am because this is huge. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of all the times that I hear from my children. You just don't understand, mom. <laughs> you just don't understand. But I, I see now that, you know, maybe I didn't understand, but I certainly understand more now because that's what's happening is they're having a hard time managing their their emotions and it feels big. To yeah. Them. And I think anxiety is not something we talk about as much as we could in our space because a lot of mm-hmm. the kids that I work with, they actually can read social cues, but their anxiety and their worries are so all-consuming that they like it, it's like they're in a frantic state at all times. They're in fight, flight, or freeze at all times, and they cannot even hear people. Um, and any of us with self-regulation mm-hmm. issues listening who have experienced that, it is like you're you're inside this maelstrom and you know people are going on with their lives and you know you're supposed to behave in a certain way, but you it's like you can't. You're just frantic. In your book, you actually have a definition of what it means to have a social problem. Can you talk to us about how you define that? So the parents out there that are listening, because I know as a parent, I don't always know. Well, I hardly ever know what's really going on with my teenagers. I only know what they tell me. So how how do you define that to somebody so that they really understand? It, if something is persistently coming up, to me, it's a problem. Like I have parents write me and who I've worked with who spend almost every night 
dealing with all of this social issues, dealing with who they sat with at lunch, who they didn't sit with, who, who looked at them cross-eyed. They may have good social skills, but that's an issue, right? Because think ahead to the mm-hmm. workplace in the future. You as a parent are calming them down. You're helping them. You're helping them manage. What's going to happen when you're not there? Is their college roommate going to do that? I very much doubt that, right? So that's that's yeah, one. Right. Two is, are they persistently left out? Um, so in 1975, mm. people had five to six friends. Nowadays, people have five to six friends. So if your child is persistently left out or they only have virtual friends, that is definitely an issue. Um, and, and definitely don't wait because the brain is most plastic when they're young. So we have, we can help anyone, but it's easier when they're young. And then the, the last mm-hmm. thing is, um, are they able to do those seven things in an age appropriate way? And if they're not, it's not the end of the world, but you need those seven things to be successful in the workplace. And no matter what you do, you know, someone said to me the other day, well, my kid's not, you know, going to go to college. And I said, okay, but like, if you're an Uber driver, you have to get along with people. If you're, you know, if you're working in a pizza shop, if you're work wherever you work, you have to get along Mm -hmm. with people and you have to be able to not alienate them and, you know, not say wildly inappropriate things. So those seven things, it doesn't matter what your child does, as long as they're going to be in the workplace of some kind, they're going to need those seven things. I want to anchor on something you just said there about five to six friends. First of all, can you elaborate on why it's important for kids to develop those friendships when they do? And I'm I'm assuming that that's important. Uh, And by extension, uh, does that carry through to adults who because we hear this all the time, like adults have trouble making friends, uh, keeping friends for whatever reason, they're just not able to maintain that sort of social consciousness uh, around their friendships. Can you talk about those two things? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things here. One is is that you're touching on is sometimes people um, have friendly behaviors, but they don't follow up with people and they don't keep in touch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the 12, 13, 14-year-olds that I work with, the issue isn't that they are, you know, not able to be friendly and make friends. The issue is that when parents are no longer facilitating the friendship, they don't follow through, they don't reach out, and that's a big issue. But yeah, five to six friends, why it's important is just actually to me is like a baseline. So a lot of times when I when I give a talk, somebody raises their hand and says, you know, my child is an introvert, or my child... um, seems pretty happy. I worry, but they only have one to two friends. And so, or, and the big other thing is virtual friends. Kids are telling us, oh, you don't understand. I have virtual friends. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to figure out like, do kids do really do have more virtual friends? And we're just putting a standard on it from our past. And it's like, no, kids, even kids who have virtual friends have live friends. The other thing is that um, when Parents, when a child has one to two friends, um, they may be really thinking of close friends. But the thing is, can they make more, right? So I'm not here to tell you who you should be friends with. But what you have to be able to do if one of those two friends moves away is make more friends. 
So, I mean, that's why it's important. Or you move away. Right. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting connection. Yeah. I, I have a ton of kids who I see or who I have heard from who had one or two friends and the parents were like, well, they're very close to these two people. Who am I to say? Except there's a problem with that, which is that if one person moves away, or if your kid only has one or two friends and they don't get placed with them in a high school or something, and they mm-hmm, can't make mm-hmm. new friends, that's a problem. And also, I like to project to the workplace. You're going to have a million bosses. We know people are going to have seven or more careers nowadays. You're going to, you know, we're in the world of mergers. Like, you're not going to have one boss. You might even have dotted line to many bosses. So, if, right. if you want to have one or two close friends and you don't, you know, that's fine as long as you can make other friends. And in most cases, people aren't able to, is sort of what ends up happening. So that's my big thing. Well, and that's, yeah, that's really the question, right? As an adult, um, you know, what is it that is sort of trapping you in this space of not being able to make new friends? And, and, you know, I would, extend that by saying it just feels like there is a sense of or, or a sort of lack of momentum lack of like you you get this established kind of inertia toward not going out and socializing or going out and socializing because you're dragged there with your spouse or whatever and and it's so much easier to not make an effort to make new friends uh, as an adult um, and and you just have less opportunity to do it given the daily buckle shuffle of of life. Um, and, and it seems like that, you know, the we say, well, it's healthy for kids to have great friends. Well, I, I just feels like doesn't the same thing hold as for adults, not just being able to make new friends, but nourishment. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I know this intellectually. And I don't know if this happens to you guys, you know something, but then you hear it again yeah. and you're like, oh, that's so true. Um, you know, yeah. um, Ned Hollowell's book that's coming out next year, I'm in that book um, for so as a social solution. And the reason I'm in that book is that one of the big things he's going to talk about is connection again. And and there's there's right. more and more evidence that you as a human being must connect or you end up with depression and other things that actually affect your um, lifespan and affect your physical well-being. And the thing is that I think for a lot of adults with ADHD, um, there is that inertia. I think there's also, a, I don't know how, so I'm going to, you know, I, I just don't do it. And I think um, it requires executive function, right? Because you have to plan, you know? So there's all these mm-hmm. factors, but the end of the day, it is important to connect with, with other people and to reach out. It's terrifying. Uh, and it's a muscle like anything else. It's, it, you have to practice. And I think we forget that. I know I do. I forget that. And I'm I'm in this space, speaking just for myself, where I work out of my house. I see, you know, that the social relationships that I have are predominantly like us doing this right now. We're on on the microphone. We're talking to each other. We have the luxury of being able to look at each other. But there is something very different about that. If you get out of the habit of leaving your office and going out to lunch with somebody that you're not, you don't have, a, you know, some, something to take notes at the same time, like it's not a working lunch. Uh, you know, it, that's something that takes practice and it's hard to do and it's okay for it to be hard to do. Yeah, it is okay for it to be hard to do. You know, 
everything we're talking about means exiting your comfort zone. It really does. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I would say too, is an introverted person taught me this years ago, and I've been using it ever since where one of the reason, one of the ways that this person was able to overcome a lot of social anxiety was to have a job to do. And so what he did was he volunteered for things. So, you know, it, you know, just having a role. If you're a waiter, your part of your role is to talk to people. And so when you have a job and that's part of your role, then it gives you kind of an excuse and a and a way to do this as an adult. And one of the things that I've found over the years is that volunteering is actually an incredibly good way to expand your social network as an adult. And it it doesn't feel as daunting and scary as why don't you go out and find a new group of friends when you work from home or you work at a small company or you work with people who are completely not your age, right? Instead, we're saying like, right. go out and find an organization, find some different groups and join as a volunteer and you're going to meet tons of people. Plus, you have a job and a role. It's not like, well, why are you talking to me? You know, it's like, oh, we're all doing this. Totally. Well, and you already... Right. And you're already, you have a, uh, uh, a mission to get, I mean, you already have something in common is what I'm trying to say. Right. So whether you're volunteering at your child's school, you know, you are looking for the well-being of your children, their classmates and the school, and you're helping out the school. But I can also see if you're helping out at, uh, you know, the pet, um, Oh, like adoption agency, humane society. Yeah, right. Like so, now you're connecting with people who love animals just as much as you love animals, and so it already starting. You could already start that conversation, right. really, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. like I just okay. was finding, you know, what um, my husband does the finances and all this stuff for our church, and you know, he, there's mm-hmm. people of all different ages involved in this church, and my husband's pretty social, but. I was in town with him the other day and he knows everybody, like everyone's talking to him. And I'm like, how do you know a 90 year old man? Right. And he's like, well, <laughs> you know, right. he does X. Right. And so it gives you access right. also to all different age groups, which I, I don't know about any of the other ADD years listening, but I am an old soul. So when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily going to go out and party a ton. And I didn't necessarily relate to you know, other 20 year olds. So there's, you know, Mm -hmm. there's that, that's what I like about it too, is that you become more about friendship and less about your particular age group or your particular, you know, town or whatever, you get to meet a wide variety of people. And again, it's less daunting. Because Mm -hmm. honestly, Mm -hmm. if I say to someone, hey, Pete, go out and meet new people. <laughs> oh, yeah, forget it. Also, I could okay. go out and meet my Xbox. Right, exactly. So there are things, there are other things I could do. Or you can call me, Right, I'll just get, yeah, that's right. I could just call Nikki and every time. Yeah. That's yeah. a, uh, that that social sort of making socialization a part of your kind of obligation, whether it's your obligation to your church community or obligation to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the food bank or whatever it is that that volunteerism, I think, is really it's really great. Like, I have to talk right now. And that lets me sort of pull back the veil on my insecurities and uh, uh, makes it easier to 
easier to do. I love it. All of this stuff is great, Caroline. It's always it's fantastic. You want to, uh, as we wrap up, you want to tell people now officially where they need to go find this this uh, this book of yours and all of the great tools in it. Sure. Um, why will no one play with me? If you want to Google just why will no one play with me, if you're a person who's going to forget what I'm about to say, you can do that. <laughs> um, but also, um, if you go to carolinemaguireauthor.com, um, that will lead you to literally a page where you can buy it from anyone. It, why will no one play with me is on Amazon. I have a ton of new stuff coming up, um, including Black Friday and other offerings of um, videos on how to coach your kid, um, webinars, um, all kinds of inf- like educational information. So carolinemaguireauthor.com is like one of the best ways to do all this because it's like a portal. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really hope people will try and, you know, I know it's a lot of, of, uh, work, but uh, here's my sales pitch. The holidays are incredibly social. So if you want to work on social skills for yourself or your kid, you have a million built in opportunities and you can either slog through them filled with dread watching your kid do stuff and, you know, kind of dying a thousand deaths. And we've all been there. Or you mm-hmm. can pick up Why Will No One Play With Me? And this could be like an opportunity, you know, because there's, ton- I don't know about your calendars, but my calendars come Thanksgiving on are just filled with Mm -hmm. even just, you know, the kids' choral stuff and all this stuff where you are being social and therefore you can practice. And I just have to say again, as a recommendation, going through this book, you do, you give the language to the parents, you give them the exercises, you give them the questions and it's it's just fantastic. So I highly recommend it to everybody, everyone. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. (laughs) We will, of course, have links in the show notes to all of those fantastic places if you haven't gone out there and and, uh, Googled them already. And uh, uh, thank you, as always, Carolyn McGuire, for joining us today. It's so great to have you back on the show. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. As always, on behalf of Caroline McGuire and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. And we'll see you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.